Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. I want to send special greetings today to our dear friends on 3ABN, to Danny and Linda Shelton, and to the thousands of wonderful people across the great land of North America who've stood with us in the preaching of the everlasting gospel to the Russian people. To date, more than 5,000 ex-communists, atheists, unbelievers, lost, hurt, lonely people have been baptized in the city of Nizhny Novgorod, which was called until recently the city of Gorky. And in this great endeavor, our partners and our friends of 3ABN have been just wonderful, wonderful supporters. And so today we send special greetings to Danny and Linda Shelton, our partners in the preaching of the gospel, and all our friends across North America, the United States and Canada. And we're very glad today to have Elder Norman Mantika with us, He's just come back from Russia, and uh, I've asked him to come today at this time in our church service, and he's going to give us a special report from the land of Mother Russia. And Norman, we're glad that you're with us today, and we can hardly wait to hear what you're going to tell us, how you found the people. Well, first of all, I bring you greetings from all the Christian Seventh-day Adventists in Nizhny Novgorod. They're such wonderful people. People ask me, why do you go to Russia, Norm? Can you afford to take these trips? No, I can't, but I go because of the specific needs that are there. These people are so generous. They don't have much of this world's goods, but their hearts are as good as gold. And these people, when I was there, they said, Pastor Norm, when you get back to America, we want you to send greetings to all the Christian believers in America. Tell them that Jesus is coming soon. Tell them that we have inside happiness, joy that comes from the heart. And then they would say, tell our people that we must get ready and we must help others get ready for his coming. And so when I left uh, for Russia uh, less than four weeks ago, I had with me over 800 pounds of uh, clothing for the young people of the new congregation in the Aftazavod church there. The majority of that congregation are young people, and I'll share in a few minutes a test, some of the testimonies from these young people. But in addition to that, when we were there during the crusade, John, you remember we ran short of cassettes. We had 9,000 sets that Ray Thomas and his group from Florida uh, made available. And I called Ray a number of weeks ago, and I said, Ray, we need 500 more sets. Pastor Alexander, the conference president, called. He said, we need another 500 sets. Could you send those so that they'll be in time for me to go? And, you know, I left on Tuesday, and the cassettes arrived on Monday. So I was able to take them with me. Uh, and in, uh, with these cassettes, I think we've got, uh, what, uh, 
How many tapes in, in a cassette? There's uh, 23 sermons, so it was over 11,000 sermons of yours translated. Actually, 11,500 sermons that actually went uh, on that trip. The interesting thing is when I arrived at the airport in Moscow, I was listening to the forecast before I left, and it was, the weather was beautiful, and when I got there, it was cold. It snowed a little that day, and it was about 10 above, and by morning it was zero. But Pastor Dima was there at the airport to meet him. He's the pastor of the uh, church off the Zavod, the new congregation, and they just love him. But it amused me a little, but it, uh, uh, not really because... Uh, there was another gentleman there, and that is the secretary of the conference in the Ukraine at Kiev. Remember, he made several trips to Nizhny Novgorod while we were there. And uh, he was there at the airport. He says, I knew you were coming, and I just didn't want to make it to miss this opportunity. I want to make sure, because tomorrow morning, he says, we have a meeting. We have a meeting with the uh, Ukraine leaders, uh, both conference and union level. And when we met with them at 7.30 in the morning, these people are very anxious for a massive crusade in the city of Kiev, a city of over 5 million people, a city where we have nearly 5,000 Seventh-day Adventists. They want to double the membership, Pastor John, in your printed literature. I noticed you said 3,000 baptisms. They're not going to be satisfied with that. They want at least 5,000 baptisms. And they want us uh, to hold the meetings in an auditorium that seats 11,000 people. And they don't want it just once a night. They are planning a doubleheader. In addition to that, they are requesting for a million handbills. Can you imagine shipping a million handbills from America and to clear those through customs? We may have some fun with that, but uh, they feel that they can get those through. Now, all these things cost a lot of money. And uh, we wonder, well, how are we going to be able to do this? But uh, we believe that we're going to be able to do it. Because when I came across through customs, I was all alone. I had 16 cartons, each one weighing 80 pounds. And thanks be to God, I was able to get those through customs. And I was through customs within 15 minutes. Last time when we came through, it took us several hours. I was through in 15 minutes. And we give God the praise and the glory for that. Friday afternoon... Pastor Alexander, the conference president, Pastor Vitali, the treasurer, the secretary, you know them, and three of the pastors, and uh, we got on the train on the Siberian Express, and we headed for Nizhny Novgorod with all that baggage, and we took it right on board with us, and they were concerned because they would have to pay excess baggage. They said, our only salvation is because you're an American. We'll say, well, the American didn't know any better, and so consequently, they let us on with all the bags, and we did not have to pay anything for the excess uh, baggage on that train. Interestingly enough, that, uh, that trip to Nizhny Novgorod, Pastor John, as well as the following weekend when I went back to Nizhny after spending a couple days in Moscow, I had... The similar experience happened both times. When we were on the train, the train was jam-packed with people, and we weren't on there but five minutes, and I was standing in the corridor of the train, just waiting for the train to leave, and one gentleman, gentleman all dressed up, uh, obviously a businessman from Nizhny Novgorod, come up to me and he says, uh, are you here alone or is uh, uh, Mr. Carter with you? You see, in Nizhny Novgorod, John Carter and Beverly Carter are household words. You doesn't matter who you talk to on the street and mention the name Carter, they know who it is. And uh, we are grateful to God about that because when they 
uh, hear that you're coming, they endeavor to come to the meetings. Next morning, Pastor Alexander, the conference president, said, Norm, today uh, we're going to go in the morning to the church at the uh, uh, 3 ABN, and in the afternoon we'll go to the office of wood. And so we went. It was cold. It was zero. Uh, six inches of snow, but there was a wind blowing. I mean, I grew up in a part of the world where I was used to cold weather, but not like this. I just wasn't used to it. Well, when we walked into that church, that church was jam-packed with people. And we praise God for that. Over 600 young people leading out. Dr. Julia was there, and she translated for me. But the other thing that was very fascinating, there was no heat. No heat. The authorities have been promising them heat for some time, but they still don't have heat. But they were there to praise God. And they too want to be remembered to each one of you. Sabbath afternoon, uh, unannounced, we made our way to the church at the Office of Wood, which is uh, the auto plant. And as we got to, to church there in the afternoon, I wondered, well, how many will come to a Sabbath afternoon meeting at 5 o'clock? The place was packed. And over 50 of them immediately got out of their seats. Of course, everyone started to clap when they saw me because they recognized me. But about 50 of them came to me and Pastor John, they not only wanted to shake my hand, but, you know, I didn't sign their autograph when I was in Russia. And so they wanted to make sure they got my autograph. You know, that's a big thing over Russia, in Russia. Everyone wants to get your autograph. 3ABN is doing a wonderful work over there. They uh, produce a television uh, broadcast, a weekly program. Dr. Julia uh, is the moderator. And they have one of the Adventist ministers speak in the center of that uh, uh, half-hour telecast, Sunday after, evening at quarter to six till quarter after six. And interestingly enough, uh, when they're done, they have two recent converts give their testimony of what Jesus has done for them. And they do that every week. And I want to testify here today that I was there and I heard it with my own ears and saw it with my own eyes on television in Pastor Alexander's home. Uh, a wonderful program, first class, and uh, we give uh, 3ABN, we praise them for their ministry. In that ministry, they have already given out to the citizens of Nizhny Novgorod over 20,000 Bibles free of charge. And those that are listening through 3ABN, many of you helped to make this possible. And we want to thank you for your interest and for caring for these people. The second Sabbath, I visited three churches. Uh, the Shevchenko Church early in the morning. And then I went to the October Church. And from there, I went and preached in the Avtozavod uh, Church. And there again, the church was jam-packed. One of the things that really impressed me, and I asked Pastor Alexander, I said, now, the gentleman that's speaking uh, here today, um, he's dynamic. Ed, Ed, who is he? He says, well, he's one of the associates uh, that we have here. I said, well, how long has he been an Adventist? Uh, Pastor Alexander says he was baptized in 1962, or 1992, in that first series. A tremendous speaker. What is, what is his name? Do you remember? I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. But he was baptized in the Volga in 92. Absolutely. An outstanding speaker. You would never know that this young man has only been a born-again uh, Christian for two years. But he does an outstanding job. One of the desperate needs in that part of the world are churches. 
that are owned by the congregations. You see in the Ukraine, 82% of the congregations meet in a Seventh-day Adventist church. Whereas in Russia, only 2% of the congregations meet in a Seventh-day Adventist church. And yet most of our leadership in Russia are of Ukrainian ancestry. They have a desperate need for literature. Uh, while I was there, they received uh, their 25,000 copies of Bible readings for the home circle, which the McAlpins uh, 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 made available to them, and they certainly appreciate that. One of the other uh, things that they desperately need there is housing for pastors. They couldn't find appropriate housing for Pastor Gregory, and consequently he ended up going to the division. But I saw him in the middle of the week, and he assured me that once that housing situation can be resolved, he said, I will return. They need literature. They need Bibles. Now it costs $2 a Bible. When we were there a year ago, it was a dollar. Now it's $2. Inflation is up to 3,150 rubles per U.S. dollar. A pastor in Moldova, for example, makes $10 a month, the U.S. equivalent. In the Ukraine, it's $20 a month. And in Russia, it, it was in June $30 a month, but because of inflation, they've had to increase it to $70 a month. And they still can't do very much with that. The uh, Russian Orthodox Church is very active. You remember that gentleman uh, who you challenged that if he would... Uh, uh, take the Bible promises of Malachi 3. That gentleman, when I was there in April, he came to church and he had black eyes and he was black and blue in the face. And uh, I asked, what happened? He said, I got beat up by the mafia. They were making some financial demands on him. Today that man drives a Mercedes. He's a very successful businessman. But he would not yield to their uh, demands. And I'm here to tell you today is a uh, just a few weeks ago, I was in Pastor Alexander's home, and he and his wife were there, and I asked him about that situation. Oh, he says, the KGB infiltrated the, the mafia here in Nizhny and ordered them out of town. And so they're not bothering him anymore. We praise God for that. One of the things that really thrilled me to let you know that people there uh, have a real concern for others. Uh, this young man who is the associate pastor who led out in the Sabbath school, had a deep concern. He says, last Sabbath, I gave you a list of 126 people. We need to know where these people are. And I had later asked, well, who are these 126 people? There are, of the 1,300 that were baptized, 126, uh, the congregation there doesn't know where they are. And they said, we're not going to stop till we find where every single member is. As I think of this, I cannot help but realize that uh, these people here, and we too, they sense an urgency. They feel that this is no time to rally, it's time to advance. This is no time to stand by, it's time for a mighty offensive for God. And as shareholders in this ministry, I'd like to share with the uh, three ABN listeners and each one that are here this morning, just a few testimonials before we close. My dear friends in Jesus Christ, also John and Beverly Carter, and my dear brothers and sisters in America, so far away but so close to my heart, I am grateful to you for your heartfelt help, 
your prayers and your unceasing love. I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ at the age of 20 and confirmed these vows in the first series of meetings in June of 1992. Before this decision, I had spent much time looking for something that would bring peace in my life, but none of it gave me hope, courage, and there was no future. When I was baptized, I gave my life into the hands of Jesus, but I did not fully understand the serious meaning of my decision and continued for six months in my previous ways of transcendental meditation. No one was able to help me, only Jesus. He who never fails did it. Because of my falling away, I decided to be rebaptized in 1994, and I now share my life in Jesus with others every day. And another one, I praise God for changing my life. He has given to me all that I always long for. And to you, my dear brothers and sisters, I desire success, joy, and peace in your homes, faith and love in Jesus. John and Beverly Carter, I thank you for your sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. We long for you to visit us and anticipate your next visit in January of 1995. Thank you for all you have done for us and helped us in, strength, in strengthening our faith in Jesus Christ. And then just one more, Pastor John, one more here that I'd like to share with you. Uh, from a 15-year-old, I am continually grateful to you. You have changed my entire life. At last I have found that which I have searched for my whole life. I have made many friends in church. I have many of them. Before this, I had no friends. These friends help me and confirm and comfort me, counsel me, and love me. But the greatest friend that I now have is Christ Jesus. He is the best of my many great friends. He continues to daily perform miracles in my life. Because of my commitment to Christ, I do face challenges with my parents and sister. They do not understand me at all. I know that Satan is doing this to endeavor to lead me away from God. My faith and my life with my family has become a nightmare. But in spite of this, my life becomes stronger in Christ. Jesus has said that he who was persecuted, and we too can face persecution. This day, the Sabbath, I find my greatest comfort in studying of the Bible. I could write more. I want to thank you for opening my, the eyes of people that they might come out of darkness and see the light of God's love and salvation. You rescue people at this critical hour in life's history. Come and see us again so that more might learn to know about God and experience his peace and his love and salvation. That's a letter from a 15-year-old. Pastor John, I came back with 62 letters. Uh, Pastor Elijah has already helped me in translating 22 of those, and before many days go by, we'll have all 62 translated for you. Each one is a testimonial just like this. And I want to say in closing, what else can we say? Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no lips but our lips to tell them how he died. He has no feet but our feet to lead them to his side. And as we think of the many people in Russia today and in the Ukraine, they are saying to us today, is there something missing? Is there more to life? Who can help us? Who can help us? Are we going to neglect these people? Shall we forsake them? Oh, we must not. We dare not because time is short. 
But we're just very, very glad today to welcome every person here to the Community Adventist Fellowship. We want to send a very special welcome to all of our marvelous friends across North America, particularly Danny and Linda Shelton, who are doing such a marvelous job at 3ABN and who need our prayers at this time because of the enormous challenges that they're facing. And Stephen, you're so kind to me because you know that I'll need these very soon. Thank you so much. The topic today is the man who was born again and the man whom God forgot. So I'm glad to see that you're taking your Bibles because you're going to need them very soon. The topic is the man who was born twice and the man whom God forgot. I want to tell every person today, I want to be the man who was born twice and I want to be the man whom God forgot, as you will understand as we go along. When I was in Australia, Beverly and I had the privilege of pastoring our church at the South Pacific Division office. It was a headquarter church. It was a magnificent church on the north shore of Sydney. It is centered in the suburb that is called Warunga. And it's just one of the most beautiful places in all the world. It is, it is a part of Sydney that overlooks the ocean. Uh, it is a part of the world that is just filled with forests and, and beautiful parks and stately mansions. Uh, there we have the Sydney Adventist Hospital, which is the largest Adventist institution in the world outside of North America. A great hospital, probably the best in the South Pacific, that has a staff of 1,500 or 1,600 people. And they, with others, were the members of my congregation. I had uh, 46 elders, and most of those were doctors, and then we had another 20 shepherdesses who helped to care for the flock. In this congregation, and uh, the reinders who were sitting over here, who've come down from Bakersfield, God bless them. Uh, Dr. Reinder was the medical secretary for the South Pacific Division. And these folks are veteran missionaries. Can anybody get a camera over here? I'll, if you can, I'll point them out to you. You can edit this in later, even if it doesn't seem. There they are. Put up your hands so the folks can get you on camera. Okay? They're the reinders. Okay. Well done, Paul. Just going to do a little editing in this talk, aren't we, Paul? Like stuff I'm saying now. Um, in the church, we had five, six hundred, seven hundred young people. Uh, they would often come to church because many of them were nurses from the Adventist Hospital, or as we called it, the San Sanitarium. Always was called the Sydney Sanitarium. Do you know it too? Uh -huh. And uh, often they would come in their nurses' caps, and you know, because in those days they used to have caps, and look really wonderful. But Beverly and I had a real concern for these young people in our church because they lived in such an affluent area of the world where nobody wanted, no, no street people, uh, hardly any person on welfare, just a very well, wealthy area. In fact, the area was so wealthy that a motoring mag magazine said, if you want to see the best cars in, in Sydney, go to the Adventist church on the North Shore on any Sabbath morning. And that's good, and that's bad. Because those young people had almost become totally gospel-hardened. I could preach my heart out to them, but they would just sit there 
unmoved, largely untouched. You see, the gospel will do you bad if you don't believe in and accept it. Light that is not accepted will prove a curse to you because light rejected will soon become darkness received. And we wondered to ourselves, how on earth can we help these affluent, wonderful, sophisticated young people? And Beverly came up with the idea we ought to take them into a third world country where there is poverty and let them see how God can work. And so we announced this and we took some 70 or 80 Australian young people to the Philippines. I want to tell you, I love the Filipino people. We have them coming to our church. Some of them are our best supporters. And we want to tell you something. We are your best supporters too. Because we love the Philippines. And I flew up to the Philippines earlier in the year and hired the Filipino International Con Convention Center that was built by, the, by Miss, Mrs. Marcos. A magnificent theater on the, on the edge of Manila Bay. A great theater that seated six and a half thousand people. And we negotiated for some time to hire that theater every night of the week for 21 nights and every Sabbath. We had it all day long. Then we started those meetings with these 80 young Aussies who came to be the team members. And I'm so glad we did. On the opening night, there was a traffic jam. The people couldn't get in. God blessed us marvelously, Steve. I can remember one night after being interviewed on uh, Good Morning Manila and the announcer, uh, rather the, the interviewer asked me about the meetings, asked me what I was preaching about and advertised the meetings that night right across the Philippines. When we got to the theater, we couldn't get in the street where the theater was. You know, you, you meet people in this part of the world who are very cynical about the preaching of the gospel. That is because of their limited experience. They judge the world by the, themselves. But I want to tell you, God is alive and well in this world today. Uh, you couldn't, we couldn't even get into the street. And so we were taken around to another street and we were taken in the back entrance of the PICC. And, and I was met there by, by armed guards who'd come for my security. And they marched me down the corridors and took me into the theater that night. In that theater that night, there was not an empty seat. In fact, the conference president, Pastor Daniel Villioso, got up and he said, I want to see the hands of all those who are members of the Adventist Christian Church in this part of the world. And about a thousand people put up their hands. He said, would you please stand up? And they stood up. He said, now, would you please leave? Because we don't have room for you. We love you, but we want other people to come in. Because the Philippines is basically a Roman Catholic country. And he wanted those people to whom the light of truth had been denied to have the opportunity. The police wouldn't let us start that night until I went outside with a megaphone, a loud hailer, and spoke to the people outside because there must have been 10,000 people outside. And I thought the glass doors were going to be broken down. It was like Russia. And when I went outside and spoke to that tremendous audience outside, standing in a gentle rain, it was just raining softly, 10,000 people standing in the rain, I said, we can't fit any more in, and I've been asked by the police to ask you to go home. And they came back to me with one voice, we will not go home tonight until we hear the word of God. 
Let me tell you something, folks. There's a power in the Word of God. There really is. There's a power in the Word of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to every person who believes. And if you take the gospel into your life, you're going to be a changed and a new person. I want you to know that today. So I went outside and I said, we can't get any more in. They said, we're not going home. I said, then wait until we finish this session, which will take two hours, and then we'll start again. And so 10 o'clock that night, we opened the doors and filled up the place again. After those meetings, I had the privilege of presiding over baptisms where, where 2,200 Filipinos were baptized into Christ and into the three angels' messages, including one Roman Catholic monsignor and several Roman Catholic priests for whom we give glory to God. But the highlight of that trip was not even running those great meetings in the PICC. The highlight came the Sunday, the last Sunday I was in the Philippines, when the church leaders came to me and they said, we want you to come with a little group of our Filipino lay people, and we want you to visit a high security prison. In fact, they took us to two prisons. One was a low security prison, where we had the privilege of baptizing another 350 souls. And they had been prepared by our church members. But then we were taken to the high security place in the Philippines, in Manila. It was like going back a thousand years in time. It was so primitive. We were taken to these massive doors. And outside the doors were sitting uh, guards and soldiers with machine guns and shotguns. And we rejoiced that we were going to have an escort as we went into death row. But they opened the doors and pushed us in and closed the doors behind us. And we were in that prison with a half a dozen Filipino lay people. One was a little Filipino lady and she escorted us we did not need tanks or guns to go into that part of the world because we had the presence of the angels. And as we walked into this awful prison, she would greet the prisoners and they would wave to her. She was welcomed and we were safe. I thank God for people who are dedicated to God, whether they're a part of the organized ministry or not. You know, every person is ordained to preach the gospel. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. I do not believe in the clergy and the laity. I believe that every person is called and ordained to preach the word of God. That's good biblical theology. They took us to a little church that was an Adventist church in that great prison. And they showed us something that was sad and something that was wonderful. It was a spot of red on the floor. The floor had been dyed red, little spot. And they said, we baptized a man here who'd been a murderer. And the day he was baptized, he broke with his gang because the gangs ran that part of that, of that prison, that high security prison. And after he was baptized, his gang came for him and murdered him. That was his blood. And I took a little service in that prison jail but they said, this is not what we brought you to. We want you to come to death row. And for the first time in my life, I visited death row. 
And I was asked to speak to a large group of prisoners who were facing death in the electric chair. I hadn't prepared a sermon, but you don't need to. I took my Bible and I opened my Bible and I read to them the texts of the Bible that tell me and that told them that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. When a person, my friend, is facing the judgment, he doesn't want a lot of, of heavy theology. He needs the basics of salvation. And that's the greatest gospel. That is the gospel. And as I preached to them, I told them one had already come and died for them, as it were, in the electric chair. And that was Jesus Christ who made an atonement for our sins. As I spoke, the place started to fill up. The place was surrounded by bars, but prisoners came and stood at the cells and held on to the bars. And when I made an appeal for people to turn to Christ and to turn from sin and to let Jesus come into their hearts and accept everlasting life, there were hundreds of prisoners who raised their hands. Sitting in front of me, there was a larger group. We're having a small baptism, but a big baptism. Because a small baptism is a big baptism. Because it's big in importance. There were eight prisoners sitting there, and they had their heads shaven. You know why? Because they were next in line to die in the electric chair. I wish every person could preach to dying men. Because you know something? You're a dying man. Every person here is a dying man or a dying woman. We're dying sooner or later, but we're all dying. And every person needs to accept Jesus and get everlasting life. And after I'd preached to them, I was taken next door into a filthy latrine, like a large toilet. There was urine on the floor. There was a tank like you'd feed or give horses a drink from. It had about two feet six of dirty water. And my dear friend, the ministerial secretary from the South Pacific Division, Pastor Graham Bradford, my comrade in arms, my brother in the preaching of the everlasting gospel, my friend who is so close to me in so many ways, who has a burden for the lost, and that we will walk in the light as Christ is in the light. He and I took off our shoes, uh, took off our coats, and got into this water. And then eight young men with shaven heads got into the water with us. And I said to each one of them, why are you here? Sir, I'm here because I'm an assassin. I tried to kill the government officer. I'm a murderer. Then you were a communist. Yes, I was a communist. I was a Marxist. And why are you here in the water today? I'm here in the water today because somebody came and told me about God who loves me. I'm here today because I've given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and because God has forgiven my sins and I am a new person. And I was able to tell them on the authority of the Word of God that the old way that they had lived, the old way of hate, and crime was now under the blood of Jesus, and that was the old man whom God forgets, the old life of sin.
And because they had accepted Jesus Christ and had taken the word of God into their hearts, they were no longer considered by God to be their old selves. They were new people born again. I'll never forget it because those things make an impact upon you. I have been so blessed in my ministry. I guess it's true to say, and I say this to the glory of God, I guess I've had as much opposition as any preacher around. My life has been threatened on heaps of occasions. I've had the experience of being marched out with a gun on my back in Africa, marched down the street because men wanted to kill me. I've received death threats in the mail. I've received bullets in the offering containers. But these threats and these problems have been overwhelmed by the evidences of God's blessing. And I have seen thousands of people come to Christ. And so I thank God for those things. As those young men came up out of the water, and I had to get on my knees to baptize them. <laughs> they didn't want to get up out of the water, and they held on to me, didn't want me to let them go, and they said, we will see you in the kingdom of God. Those young men, I believe, have all been put to death, but I'm going to see them in the kingdom of God. And I want to see you in the kingdom of God. And the people who are watching on 3ABN, I want to see you in the kingdom of God too. And I want to tell you, no person's going to get into the kingdom of God unless he is the person whom God forgot and the person whom God made again. I want you to take your Bible now, please. And I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 to 24. You folks getting blessed today? Mm. Be glad today that you're a believer. Be glad to be a believer. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24. Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24. Page 829 in this Bible, 829. Ephesians 4, verse 22 and onwards, page 829. Right-hand page, the left-hand column, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. The King James Version says, to put off your old man. People have often wondered, who is the old man who is talked about in the Bible? It's you before you got to know God. The Bible says, you got to put off your old self. That's the old man whom God forgets which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. The King James Version says to put on the new man created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you know, my friend, that there is a true righteousness and there is a true holiness and when a person becomes a new person, he has true righteousness. It is the righteousness that Jesus gives him. And he is a new person, and he's got a new attitude. And even if you're a member of the church, if you've got an old attitude which is cantankerous 
and fault-finding and moaning and complaining and criticizing, I want to tell you, that's the old man, and you've got to give that old man to Jesus and have it put to death. Because that's the man whom God forgets. In fact, the Bible tells us that God forgets all of our sins when we come to him. Would you come to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43? I was taking a meeting out of the media center this week for the ministers, and I spoke about Isaiah, and they didn't quite know what I was talking about, but I told them the book of Isaiah was the gospel, the gospel prophet that was written by an Australian, and I, Isaiah must have been written, I think, by... Uh, by an American. Isaiah chapter, I think it's 43 and verse 25. Yes, it is. Isaiah 43, page 515. Page 515. And this is a tremendous comfort and a hope for every person whose life has been stained by sin. And that's every one of us, my friend. Verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. So, my friend, when the old man is buried with Jesus in baptism, you know what God does? God forgets about the old man. You listening to me? And God forgets about his old sins. The Bible tells me that when I become a new Christian, and a born-again Christian, God forgets about the old way, and God forgets about the old sins. Isn't that good? Now come now to John chapter 3, and verses 1 to 7, where Jesus has a conversation with a theologian who didn't know much. John chapter 3, and verses 1 down to 7. That's page 751, where Jesus talks about the new creation. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. This was just a little flattery. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. When I baptized those young criminals in the Philippines, God no longer saw them as criminals. God saw them as brand new people in the image of his son. So God, my friend, forgets the old man, and God makes a new man. I want to tell you this today because this should sink down into our hearts. Your old life can be forgotten. Your sins can be cast into the sea. Did you know that the prophet Micah said in chapter 7, you don't need to look up the text now, but Micah chapter 7 says that God is prepared to take 
our sins and to cast them into the depths of the ocean. Did you know that in some parts of the Pacific Ocean, the sea is six or seven miles deep? God said, I'm going to get your sins and I'm going to put them down beneath six or seven or eight miles. And when God does that, he forgets the old man. I want to tell you now the story of the most wicked man in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you the story how God forgot that old man. It's an amazing story. In fact, when I was studying it yesterday, it seemed to me as though it was almost too good because he was too bad. But I want to show you the story of the most wicked man in the Bible. Would you come to 1 Kings 21, 25? The story of the most wicked man in the Bible. Does anybody know who he was? Uh, Helen knows who he was. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25. It's page 257. The worst man in the Bible, at least up to that time, and the worst of the kings, at least. And the kings of Israel, on the whole, were not very good. They were pretty bad. But he was the worst. As Julie used to say when she was a little girl, he was worser. Page 257, verse 25. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. There was no man who was as bad as Ahab, who was urged on by Jezebel. And he had some stiff competition. As the Bible says, he won the prize for being the worst. He was the king of God's people, the leader of the Jewish church, he was guilty of awful idolatry, of all types of evil practices. He was a persecutor of the prophets of God. He was a worshiper of Baal. Therefore, he was a sun worshiper and a worshiper of the fertility goddess. He was married to the most profligate woman, whose name, her, her name was Jezebel and his hands were stained with the blood of Naboth and his sons. You read the story of how Naboth had a magnificent and wonderful vineyard. And Ahab said, I want it. And uh, Naboth went along, Ahab went along to Naboth and said, give me a vineyard. And uh, Naboth said, I can't because it's the heritage of the Lord. And the king got in a big sulk. And he went home and he got into bed and he put his face to the wall and he started to sob. And his wife came in and said, what's wrong with my lord the king? Oh, he said, I can't get the vineyard. Oh, she said, you poor big boy, let me do it for you. And so she had Naboth set up, had the son set up, got crooked elders who came along and testified against this man of God, and Naboth was stoned. And then the queen came and said, My sweet, go and take it. He said, Thank you. And then Elijah walked in. And the king said, Is that you, my enemy? 
And he said, I have come with a message from God. The body of your foul wife is going to be eaten by dogs. And the dogs are going to lick up her blood and your blood too. Because God sees your evil and judgment is coming. And so God said, the dogs are going to lick up your blood. It's pretty strong, isn't it? The most wicked man. Notice what happens. Verse 25 and onwards. Look at verse 23. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall. Verse 24. And they did. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab. Verse 25. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Ammonites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. This is an amazing story. It seems to me, and I've read many commentators on it, that Ahab was forgiven because the judgment was turned from him. Ahab, the worst king that Israel had ever had, was forgiven when he didn't deserve it. His hands were red with blood. He was forgiven because... He repented and sought God. And he became the man whom God forgot. God forgot his evil and God forgave him. I, I want to say this, if this is true, this is marvelous news because if God can forgive Ahab and save Ahab, he can save any person alive today. There is no limit to the mercy of God. That's why the book of Romans says, where sin did abound, if I had written the book of Romans, I would have put in there, where sin did abound, the judgments of God did much more abound. But Paul put in, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. If you are an Ahab today and if you hear the voice of God and if you put on sackcloth as it were and if you sincerely repent of your sin, God will forget your old self and God will make you into a new person. Is that good news or bad news? Good news. The mercy of God, the grace of God. Some of you have heard of Harry Orchard. He was the man who at the turn of the century murdered Frank Stunenberg after the turn of the century. 
He was put up for the job by the labor unions that were tearing the country apart. Harry Orchard carried a gun with many notches on it. Each notch stood for a person that he'd blown away. He murdered the governor of Idaho, Frank Stunenberg, but this time he was captured. Mrs. Stunenberg was a born-again Christian, and she sent to Harry Orchard in prison a Bible, and Harry Orchard started to read the Bible. He'd never done that in his life. His life was so changed by the power of God that one year after he was convicted by the judge and the jury, one year after his conviction, the judge who sentenced him to life imprisonment, when he met him, could not recognize him. His face was so changed by the power of God. God changed the old Harry Orchard, and God forgot the old Harry Orchard, and God made a new person out of Harry Orchard. That's what God can do. Harry Orchard, after a number of years, as he grew old, was allowed to live outside the walls of that great prison, and they allowed him to live in a little house, and he took care of chickens. He raised chickens. They said his disposition became so gentle that he would weep even if a little chicken was hurt. God forgot the old Harry Orchard. God put the sins of the old Harry Orchard under at least seven miles of water. And God's Spirit came into Harry Orchard and a book was written about him entitled The Man God Made Again. I would like to be the man God forgot and the man God made again. Wouldn't you? These people who are being baptized today are to be the man, the people whom God forgot, but the people God made again. What we're talking about today is not religion. I'm talking to the people on 3ABN. We are not talking about just religion. We are talking about the power of God. I believe there is too much religion in the world, but not enough of the power of God. What God did for those young Filipinos, He can do for you. But you see, for God to do it for me, I have to do something. I must come to God, and I must come as a penitent. The reason why God cannot bless us more is usually because we're so proud. The reason that God could not bless the Pharisee more was because he was so proud, and he felt no need. The hardest person to help in the world is not the young man who is about to be put to death, but it is the person who sits in the pew of the church and who says, thank God I'm not like others, and who is a critic of every other person except his own soul. So what I must do, and you know that my gospel is a rather simple gospel. It means that I must come to Christ and I must humble myself under the mighty hand of God and say, I am the man. Yes, I'm the man and I accepted God and I come to you and I throw myself at your feet and I accept Christ as my Savior. I ask that you will forgive my sins and that you will forget the old past and that you will make me into a new person and I want you to know this what he has said he will do. I ask you today, 
by God's grace to be the man or the woman whom God forgot. Let your sins be covered by seven, eight miles of water. Take Christ into your life. Let Jesus be Lord of your life. Let his spirit come into you and give birth to a new person.